When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Friday, February 23rd, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. Episode 251, featuring radio play-by-play voice of the Celtics, Sean Grandy, is brought to you by eHarmony. Right now, my listeners can get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription. Just use promo code CELTICSBEAT at checkout. Oh, it is so good to hear John Tesh again, isn't it? Thanks to Chuck Dietz, you've been wonderful, but I just, I, I needed something different, at least for today. I needed a little bit of a change. And, you know, speaking of change, let's address the elephant in our internet room, so to speak. Why is the show on a Friday after years and years of Sunday releases? You're probably wondering. I know certainly Nick Gelso and others at CLNS were wondering. Well, I'm going to tell you. One, I'm a pain in the ass. That's that's a big part of it. See, I just, I wanted to give you one more show with one more great guest before the All-Star break. I've only got the one show under my belt. I wanted to keep talking Celtics. There's so much with this team, so I figured let's get another show in. But here's where we're really going to mix things up. We're going to skip the typical Sunday, so we're going to have this show. Then we're going to have another release in the middle of next week after the Seas have played three games against the Pistons, Knicks, and Grizzlies to kind of see where Boston stands with 20 games to play in the regular season hopefully not losers of six in a row or something like that but stay tuned that's that's why we're doing this we want to be fresh we want to be current i don't want to give you a sunday show that is going to have a couple of games that have just been played and then you know it's it's coming at you either late saturday night or first thing sunday morning people are tired they're still kind of getting up i want you to to digest i want you to be able to fully look ahead with this show again get insights from another great guy and then coming out a full digest of the few games that we've got ahead of us And part of this, too, part of this whole extra shows thing, if you do like this show and you want more of it, and I hope that's the case, we need to hear it. So let me know on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman, or really even more important than that, if you don't want to do that, leave comments on iTunes, leave ratings. If you like the show, five-star ratings are great. They let people that pay for these things know that you're happy, so then they're happy, and we're happy, and I'm happy, and you're happy. It all makes sense, right? More good ratings, more good shows. Sean Grandy's going to join me in a few minutes, and we're going to get to a, a ton of great stuff from him. But let's get to some other housekeeping items. Just get these out of the way first. Marcus Smart is back. Now, Boston has gone 6-5 and five without its feisty, aggressive, defensive-minded guard since, of course, he foolishly, stupidly punched that picture frame in a Los Angeles hotel about a month ago. I don't even quite understand the angle at which he hit it so that he lacerated his right hand. I don't know what problem him to do it. Even frustration is not a good enough excuse for me. He considers himself lucky that uh, the injury wasn't season-ending. It could have been. I mean, we're, we're talking about a significant chunk of glass that was in his hand that could have easily hit a tendon, and then this thing is all much worse. You know, sitting out for him was 
a lot of things. He used a, a lot of different devastating, you know, it was frustrating, it was irritating, it was annoying, whatever. All of these things. Now, though, he is medically cleared to play. He's eager to return. We can look forward. And it, again, it sounds like removing the fact that he was idiotic enough to, to do it never should have happened in the first place, this incident. He's awfully damn lucky to be back. They pulled a glass piece out of my, the palm of my hand about that size. And they said there was tenants, two tenants that ran along the pinky area, the main tenants, and literally the glass was sitting right in between them. So they're like, you know, you should go play, play the lotto or something because, you know, you, you missed your, the tenants. And they don't, they don't understand. They, they don't really see how, uh, you know. So, you know, I thank God for that every day. And, uh, it could have been worse. I'm glad it's not, and I'm glad for you. Marcus went on to say that this thing could have been season-ending, could have required surgery if it did clip a tendon. And it's just that's... You're fortunate, you're happy that that didn't happen, you're happy for him, you're happy for the organization, for the team, because you'd you'd hate to see something so dumb, so brought upon yourself, affect the future of this team. Because I can't possibly harp enough on the importance of Marcus Smart, okay? The Seas have lost three in a row, four of five, nine of 15. There have been injuries, Smart, Shane Larkin, Shemi Ojale, others, in the 15 games. Adam Himmelsbach of the Boston Globe noted in something he wrote recently, Seas have a minus 1.5 net rating. They are getting outscored by 1.5 points per 100 possessions during the last 15 games, during which, again, they are 6-9. 20th in the NBA, that negative 1.5, behind teams like the Lakers, the Hornets, and the Magic. They're also 27th in field goal percentage, shooting about 43%, 20th in rebound percentage, an area that they were right at the top of the NBA for good long while. Clearly, that is not the case. Now, Marcus Smart, on an individual level, and I'm sort of contradicting myself here because defensive rating is very much a team statistic. It depends who was out on the floor. So it's not just the one guy. So it it's, gets confusing when you try and talk about one guy's impact in terms of defensive rating, which, again, is a team statistic. But if I'm not giving you enough of a popsicle headache, Smart has the best defensive rating in the NBA among players who play at least 30 minutes per game. 98.9 points allowed per 100 possessions okay again best defensive rating in the entire nba among players who play at least 30 minutes now jason tatum jalen brown al horford they're all in the top 10 but still part of that as well as for marcus plays into it being a team statistic point is it's clear celtics are a better defensive team when marcus smarts on the floor that's not rocket science that is very clear but the problems this team has had and again 40 and 19 that's great two games out in the east behind toronto not an easy deficit to make up when you look at the different schedules but it's not just smart that has contributed to to this team's struggles they needed this break they've been reeling they're supposedly and listening to them re-energized now they had over a week off so let's hope that's the case but what is the focus, right? That's what we're all wondering. What is the main focus? Coach Brad Stevens was actually on 98.5 The Sports Hub back on Wednesday. He addressed that. He was asked, Zolak and Bertrand, what is the main focus for the stretch run here? I want to get back to being a team that finds a way and does so because it competes at the highest of levels on every possession. We, we haven't been a perfect team all year, but what we have done, you know, especially the early part of the year, was we competed, we found a way. And, and I think that we have to put every piece of energy into that. Um, we have to play better than we did heading into break. Everybody was had the same all-star break. So to, to say that we were looking ahead to break or whatever the case may be, well, everybody else was in the same boat, too. The bottom line is that's no excuse for poor performance. And we had a few of those heading into break, and we better play a lot better 
here over the next 23 games because if we stay at the level we've been playing at, it's not good enough. I spoke about it on Sunday's show with Chris Mannix from Yahoo Sports. Caesar playing perhaps their worst basketball of the year. Miscommunication, no attitude or toughness, all of that. The lack of effort and chemistry and consistency that the Celtics are used to presenting out there on the floor, that we're used to seeing. And, and Smart's toughness, his energy, all of that, it's going to help. But it's not just him again. He doesn't alone fix multiple 20-point deficits or these routine slow starts. And I don't know how many times I've said it. This team, Celtics team, Brad Stevens' teams, they're built on their defensive mentality and abilities, defensive schemes. Defense wins for Boston. I don't care about offense. Yes, of course, you need more points to win a game. I get the common sense element of it. But if we're to illustrate what I mean, 95 to 90, as opposed to 115 to 110, those are the kind of games that I like. Those are the kind of games that this team thrives with. When its defense is best, its offense is is good enough and they're able to take down some of these tougher teams like the Warriors. No, I don't mean in a seven-game series, certainly. They're not at that level yet, but in the regular season. Their best performances come in games where their defense is at its best, and defense has to be this team's calling card. They all talk about it. Danny Ainge talks about it. I don't know how many times you need to hear it. It's not that complicated. This team can't float. It can't turn it on in the playoffs. It is not the mentality of the coach. Nobody on this roster is even good enough to do that outside of Kyrie Irving when he was doing it in Cleveland and could do it in Cleveland because he had LeBron James and, of course, taking nothing from Kyrie. He's a great player. But that mentality isn't going to work with this team. It's not on that level. This roster is not on that level. So what do we expect for the final 23 games? What are the lineup changes that are coming? What are the keys to the second half? How does this team attempt to catch Toronto? How does it get back on the same page to to what we saw earlier in this year, in Mirage stage, when it was winning 16 games in a row? Let's talk to somebody who's smarter than me. Sean Grandy's the radio play-by-play voice of the team across the Celtics radio network. Sean, how are you? How's the All-Star break treating you? Or do you actually get any breaks? You know what? Well, it's funny. I did a little... Uh... I did a little boxing, so not personally boxing, but, you know, calling. <laughs> That's boxing, a good such, thing. Such as it is. I should clarify that. Yeah, um, I didn't want to worry about you. You know, uh, so, that you know, that uh, that took up a few days. And then, uh, you know, as Draymond Green was complaining, all of a sudden, uh, you know, it's, it's time to go back to work. I want you to know, I, I pay particularly close attention to your Twitter account because you send out a lot of great, interesting stats. I'm, I'm hoping, by the way, that most of these are computer-generated and you're not actually tabulating all-time games and leads and deficits and everything else that you come up with after each and every game. What's it? What's the calculator? Well, yeah, but I mean, still, these things take you forever, I would think. Well, it depends on, you know, sometimes they become projects. It really depends on what it is. You know, there's a lot of research and stuff to, you know, that you can do. And uh, everything is its own individual thing. But sometimes you can get a little bit down the rabbit hole. You know, it's happened. Sure. Well, the the reason that I, I really enjoy looking at your Twitter outside of all the stats, I, I take notice of people who tend to follow a very small number of people. Numbers like that jump out to me for some reason, and you're obviously right there, seemingly with kind of a, a rigid, like, 145 to 150. And I don't know why I noticed that, and it seems creepy now that I'm even saying it out loud, but I bring it up not because you don't follow me, which, by the way, is just horribly misguided, but because I'm assuming that there's a reason that you being the numbers guy that you are, you live at the specific numbers you do, and I, I'm curious. Uh, that's an odd, it's an odd question, and I have a strange. The first thing is I have a bizarre OCD thing about having an even number, meaning an ending in zero or five. Okay, it's a very weird thing that I have. 
I also have separate accounts. I have that main account that I use for work, uh, and I use it primarily. I change a lot of the people based on who were, who the Celtics are playing and what's coming up for me work-wise. Interesting. And I use it, and here's the real reason. I use that account during games, so I don't follow 500 people because I don't want my timeline. I'm constantly using it during the game. Sure. So it has to be related to you're not going to follow your, your cousin who's tweeting about <laughs> whatever because it's filling your timeline. And there's different ways to limit it, whatever, but that's actually the reason is that I use it so much or I have it so active during games that I don't follow a ton of people you know, for that for that reason because I want to know what's going on with the team that we're that the Celtics are playing. You're following, you have a couple of Pistons people, like a Friday night, you know, you're following a couple of Pistons people and your obvious NBA people and you know, a few people that you come into contact with work-wise, otherwise. But it's that's the reason I've always tried to keep it you know, very low. The whole idea was to keep it very low. I had this whole concept, by the way. Nobody ever picked up on this. Like this, To me, Facebook, I think the world would be a lot more interesting place if you were limited in the number of people you could be friends with, because then the whole thing would become like one big game of American Idol, which we love. Like <laughs> if you had a new friend on Facebook, you had to kick somebody out. Sure. And that would be, oh my gosh, the drama that that would that would create like socially in your world. I can't believe nobody's ever you know figured that out. Which would mean if you did follow me on Twitter and you see where I'm going with this, you'd have to boot somebody out. Exactly right. Which really exactly you right. should be doing again. But there are I I follow you and other people on a different you know different account so it's interesting that you would use your time to basically complain that you're not you know that i don't follow you on uh, on twitter it's only that's, because that's it's only because i have all the time in the world here <laughs> recognizing that you don't obviously so clearly. this uh, i i do want to know uh, very quickly this other account obviously it is not one that you publicize to people uh -huh. that you want people following you on right that's that's exactly right yeah you have a, like there's a you have like a, a personal life and a you know and a professional life, right? See this? I I, I like all see the uh, the more you know about your local broadcast. The more you know, yeah, and I, you know it's a strange world. That's sort of the way I started, and I never really evolved it. But I didn't. I, I remember doing it at one point where that was the that was the idea was I didn't want you know and you you can tweet deck and do all this complicated stuff that I'm not gonna you know get involved in. But the idea was to not over because when you first get on there, you're like, oh my gosh, look at all these people. I love. Let me follow Pink and let me follow, <laughs> um, like, you know, whatever. And then you realize, okay, this is not a good use of – this is a professional thing for me, not a personal thing. Because there's a lot of people that you know, I know them and you know them, that treat it like Facebook or other social media. That's where for sure. A lot of person, and that's great. But I'm not interested in seeing pictures of your kids while I'm calling <laughs> the game and need to know what Anthony Davis is doing in New Orleans. You know what I mean? So that's the – that's the basic premise. No, everyone, I think everyone has their own divisions of social media and what's sure. work and what's real. And that's so that's there's actually an answer to that. No, I, that I, question. I get it. I follow 300 people in change and I can tell you it is way too many. I need too to I, I need yeah. I need to cut it down. And, and I appreciate, too, that you're a smart guy because you can tell me that you follow me from this other mysterious account and I'd have no way of knowing. Which, which now, well, now I know you. Well, here's what you're going to do now. Like you're going to be obsessed and like go through the people that follow you and try to figure out. Well, you know. I have a lot of time in my hands. I don't have that much time in my hands, yeah. uh, but I don't. You know, I don't want to use up all your time. If I can, so. if I can stay up all night and figure out what the record is <laughs> this year, and you know when the last time the Celtics were down by fourteen and came, you know whatever that their whatever their record is. When I'm tired of using that graphic, I'll tell you that. Like, <laughs> hopefully, we'll have to use the. Hey, they're down by eighteen again, so their record is really good when they're down by eighteen. 
Yeah, that's that's one that hopefully you'll have the opportunity to not trot out anymore. Yeah. Before we get to the C's in the second half, though, and, and quote-unquote second half, because really it's the final quarter, what do you think of the new All-Star format and, and the fact that we actually had a competitive game this year? I like I like trying new things. I don't know. To me, it was actually, it really felt more like the old-school All-Star game in that it was the All-Star exhibition for three quarters, and then the fourth quarter everybody played, you know, played defense, and it was like a real game which is something that had not happened the last few years in which all four quarters had gone insane. And Brad Stevens is the greatest defensive mind of our generation. He coached a team that gave up 200 points or whatever, uh, you know, which I will never let him forget you know, for, for <laughs> as, as long as everybody shall live. Uh, but I, I, thought was, I, I like try, trying things is good. Exploring new ideas is good. A very popular one now is the idea of seeding 1 through 16 and getting rid of the East and West. I'm not crazy about that. I don't like it you at all. What? I didn't like interleague play in baseball because I grew up a certain way. And the first 20 years of my life or whatever were the American League is the American League, the National League is the National League. But you know what? The fans liked it. And I'm old enough to remember when I was very young, the NHL did it once. Uh, I know this because I remember as a kid the Rangers playing the LA Kings in the first round hmm. of the playoffs. I know they did a 1-16. through 16. And that was obviously with commercial travel and, and whatever, and I think even shorter series. So. I think it's. Uh, I think exploring new ideas is always, um, you know, with all apologies to Laura Ingraham, I think everyone can have a good <laughs> idea, and we should explore them, all of them, whenever possible, and discuss them. I certainly had no. I don't think there's any East-West allegiance when it comes to the NBA and the All-Star Game. So I think that was a certainly an interesting way to do it. People just want to see those guys play. Yeah, that I absolutely agree with, and you don't need to apologize to her either. But let's talk about Kyrie Irving, who I'm sure would not issue her any sort of uh, apology either. It's certainly a, a broad thinker, but he has had a great year. Some would even put him in the MVP conversation. Now, I'll admit, and maybe we've talked about this before, I was very skeptical about that trade last summer, having nothing to do with his clear abilities. There were a variety of factors. Now, among them, I wondered if he could really be the leader that he said he would be after some of the, the drama that we heard about in Cleveland. Now, you are close to the team, a hell of a lot closer than I am. What have you observed about him, his transition, and all this leadership? That there are, the same thing I always observe with Paul Pierce, there are different ways to be a leader. You know, what's that that Muhammad Ali line that they used in the movie? Like, I'm not going to be the champion the way you want me to be. I'm going to be the champion the way I want I mm. want to be. And, you know, how is Brad, you know, Brad Stevens a great leader of men? when he doesn't necessarily possess the qualities that we used to think of that way. How does, you know, Kyrie Irving lead? You know, he leads by example. He leads by, um, you know, encouraging younger players. And I think there's leadership. You know, we, we saw Antoine Walker, you know, screaming at Paul Pierce on the bench in game three in 2002. That's what we think of, I think, when we think of leadership. And, you know, Herb Brooks' speech and, <laughs> all, you know, that thing. And I think there's just different ways – that people can be inspired and younger players being pulled aside by older players, stuff that we don't see, you know, Brad Stevens showing so much respect for the players and, you know, helping putting them in position to be successful. You know, there are different leadership comes in many different forms. So, you know what? I was skeptical because I, you know, the thing is Kyrie was a really young player in Cleveland and you gain the reputation. What was Paul Pierce's reputation around the league in 2004, let's say, 2005. Was Paul Pierce considered a great leader? Was Paul Pierce, you know, it's just the contrary. He probably had more 
off the court stuff or incidents or whatever than you know the acting out in the 2005 playoffs and the bad world championship with George Carl in 2004. There was a lot of stuff, you know. But you you continue to grow as well. And I think I would pose it this way without going too far down this rabbit hole: How much of a leader can you be on a LeBron James team? Yeah, you it's know? fair. Uh, Absolutely. So, I mean, you're you're the clear second guy at at best. Yeah, yeah. we didn't know we didn't like LeBron. LeBron is going to be the alpha of all alphas. And by the way, that's not wrong. I think when, when, when Kyrie wanted to split and do his own thing, I think all of us had the natural tendency to say, what, are you crazy? How can you not want to play with LeBron? But first of all, Kyrie's brain works differently than most people's brains. <laughs> and this was uh, this is some of the stuff we're talking about, that he wanted to be a leader. He wanted to be his own man. He wanted all these different these different elements played into it, and he knew as great as LeBron was, this wasn't personal. This was about you know what he wanted to accomplish. If he wanted to be the leader of the team, whatever, and that was not going to happen with uh, with LeBron. I was one of those people, not necessarily skeptical about Kyrie, but my feeling was, man, you're going to tell your grandkids that you chose not to play with the greatest player of all time, who you know been the finals three years in a row since you got there. And so it was. I had the same sort of skepticism, like, oh, they're just sort of like, huh, that's what an odd choice. And then, you know, you see it up close and you realize that he uh, he just is a different different kind of cat. Well, and just the general thought of, look, if you want a team to be your team, you want to be the man, well, wait a year when LeBron theoretically leaves, if yeah. that were to happen. Or yeah. your contract's up in two years. Go leave at that point. Take the continued annual rite of passage to go to the finals each and every year, like you said, while while you're still, I mean, you barely even hit your prime at 27. More with Sean coming up in just a second. First, though, I want to tell you, today's show is powered in part by eHarmony. If you're trying online dating, chances are you've run into lazy text messages, dead-end conversations, random matches that just don't turn into dates. You can't get to know someone by just looking at their picture and that's why you need the power of eHarmony. Now eHarmony is unlike any other dating site. They take steps that other dating sites don't in order to find you a more compatible match. eHarmony uses years and years of science, data, and psychological research to send you the right matches. They've helped over 1 million people find their perfect match and you could be the next. Right now, my listeners can get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription. Use the promo code CELTICSPEED at checkout. Easy to remember, CELTICSPEED. In fact, CLNS's own Jimmy Toscano used it to test it out, found success in only a week or two. It's that easy. So stop waiting. Start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, one app that is built to bring you real love, eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started. Enter promo code CELTICSPEED at checkout. So, Sean, getting back to the Cs, on that leadership, how would you say his leadership, the the style that, that you have witnessed, and and just the, the way that he conducts himself, it, it's such a polar opposite in a lot of different ways to what we had here the last couple of years with Isaiah Thomas, who, of course, a leader as well in his own right. How stylistically, completely off the court, have these guys differed? Oh, I, I mean, you know, let me let me count the ways. I, <laughs> I think they're very different people. I think this is a tough time to, to gauge Isaiah. Uh, it's really because I don't think there's any precedent for a player being fifth in the MVP voting one year. And then arguably, arguably, statistically, 
you could make a case Isaiah's been one of, if not the worst player in the NBA this year. Mm-hmm. That tells you a lot about environment, tells you a lot about situation, tells you a lot about roster composition around a, around a certain player, tells you about a coaching situation. There's a lot of different, a lot of different elements of, of, of the things that have gone into Isaiah's bad year, and it's going to be interesting to see where he starts over. I don't think he'll be a Laker next year, so it could be another new team for him you know, when he starts. But I think Kyrie's probably more conscious of you know, of leadership things. I think Isaiah, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but Isaiah was at a point in his career where he was he really was about Isaiah. He really felt he had been, you know, like disrespected and not looked at as somebody who could perform on the court the way he did. And I think he was singularly focused on that. And I thought that he didn't want to win. Of course he did. I just think he was just really driven to prove I can accomplish this as an individual. And he did, by the way. It was one of the most amazing I've seen a lot of amazing things. That was at you know top of the list of you know you want to talk about one player's one season that I've gotten the call that I'm going to be remembering you know like when it's all over Isaiah's year last year is going to be at the top of a very short list but you know, I, you know leadership wise I that's not the first thing I think of when I think of Isaiah. As for this current team, Celts have been in the funk. Three straight losses, 9 of 15 since the London trip, heading into that long layoff over a week off. Did the break come at the right time, or does the festering and, and having to sit on it make it worse? Uh, no, it came at the wrong time. It came too late. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, were, well, they were stumbling. I think they, they needed it. It was clearly a team. Sometimes you're playing well. You did the Cavs. Man, you didn't want that break. Everything was really starting to roll, and but you know everyone everyone finds a way to, to make it work. But yeah, the Celtics were just not themselves, and I think you know we spent a lot of time here talking about Kyrie. Obviously, Marcus is going to get a ton of attention as he did yesterday and coming back, and that's a big part of the story. But as spectacular as Kyrie has been on some nights, he's had 35 point nights, and the Celtics have won. He's had 35 point nights, and the Celtics have lost. You want to look at the bellwether for this team. It's been Al Horford to a lesser degree, Marcus Smart, but it's really been Al. And Al has just looked like a guy who needed a break. And here's what we've seen this year. When Al Horford is good, he is elite in the NBA. I could make a case for the first 20, 25 games of the year that he was the MVP of this team. Completely not agree. Kyrie. Completely you know, so, agree. Right. And so add to that, when Al has been good, the Celtics have been really tough to beat. When Al has been ordinary, on back-to-backs and there's been a lot of games or whatever, when Al's ordinary, the Celtics are ordinary. And that's what we've, we've seen more of that in this second, third of the year. There was a, uh, one of the homestands early in the year, and you can look up the date. The Celtics didn't play in that long run of games. They didn't have a true day off. They were playing literally every other day, building up that massive amount of games up to New Year's before the London trip. And he, he, had, a, he had one of those DMP rest nights. Where he didn't, I think the Celtics had a Monday and Friday home game, and then Al didn't play on Wednesday, just a rest night. And he came back on Friday, and it looked like, you know, a, a pitcher in the playoffs pitching on four days rest instead of three. Hmm. You know, he was just a different guy. He was back. So, you know, the Celtics schedule is not even that, it's not that ferocious now, you know, coming back. There are some few days off sprinkled in. They've got a really spread out road trip, some tough games, but um, the schedule is pretty spread out. I think there's no home road disparity. They've been better on the road than at home, so the fact the season ends with a whole bunch of road games, I don't think is a big concern. I think the biggest concern for me as a Celtic fan, if I'm worried about the big picture, is that to me it looks difficult right now to avoid Cleveland in the second round. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard to catch Toronto. You know, something is good. The Raptors are, you know, every discussion like we've just had, every discussion nationally all year has been about the Cavs, 
how bad they are and how good the Celtics have been, and now that has flipped. Meanwhile, every night, Toronto just goes out and beats the living heck out of somebody else. And it's been a, what, six-game turnaround since London. They've gone from four down to up by two. And they are rolling, and they are for real. And I get the skepticism because of what's happened in the playoffs. But them being tough to catch for the number one seed is big this year because you clearly have three elite teams in the East, and two of them are going to have to play in the second round. So that, to me, is the, the danger. The Celtics could have this great year, and if they can't get past Cleveland in the second round, it'll be looked at as a big step back when – in the big picture. I think when we're all said and done, I know I'm jumping ahead to May. I think when we wrap up in May, we're going to be talking an awful lot about October 17th and how the Gordon Hayward injury went away because they played so well for so long. But at the end of the day, that might be the defining, you know, it still could end up being the defining moment of what they're able to accomplish in the big picture. A lot there, obviously, that I want to touch on. Let's you know go right back to the to the Cavs and Raptors for a second, because as you said, if if they're unable to seize to catch Toronto, they're second, and then theoretically, Cavs are third, and then they're squaring off in the second round. Even if the seas were to get past Cleveland, then you got to deal with the Raptors in the next round. So, with all the energy that would have to be exerted to even beat Cleveland in a seven-game series, it's just you're just talking about a roller coaster ride of of physical and 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 mental emotion. Chris Mannix on our last show, I I asked him who is the favorite in the East as as you see it right now, and not to you know come out as the one seed, but to actually come out of the East to be playing in June to inevitably face the Warriors. He thinks it is the Cavs after all the moves they made at the deadline. Are you on the same page with that, or or are you taking Toronto really? seriously or are you well, thinking the seas can do it i think that we're talking about it, it's almost ridiculous to pick the Cavs right now because you're basing it on two games right now you're completely everybody's overreacting on the Cavs as they should that's all the sample we have remember we just have a lot of time to talk about it in this two weeks now it's been where the Cavs are undefeated right since the trade mm-hmm. so in that time the celtics early in the year probably won like nine games in a row in this in that same time period they just we haven't had anything else to talk about but oh my gosh did the Cavs look great since the trade <laughs> uh so let's see how let's see what 10 games looks like let's see what 20 games looks like with that team but you know when the when the trades happened remember that day everyone was like well i mean if anybody else had those players it wouldn't be making a big deal it was about getting rid of the we all get sick during the winter right it's a long winter <laughs> the weather gets us we all get sick remember the first day maybe you're not people aren't there yet the first day when you're, like, healthy again, first day in weeks where you haven't been sick and, like, you feel good, that's what the Cavs are like now. The sickness is gone. The things that were steering them into the ground are gone. So I don't know if this team is really that way, if they're better than Toronto or if they're even better than the Celtics. We know that the Celtics can play at an extraordinarily high level. They haven't lately. Now we know what the Cavs are capable of doing with this team. doesn't mean they're going to do it for 20 or 30 or 40 games. And as I say, every year it never happens. But – one of these years, just by – because it happens to everybody else, LeBron's going to slip on a banana peel at some point. You know, it's going to happen one year, right, where LeBron's going to get hurt or something's going to – you know, happen to Kevin Garnett in 09. It happened to, like, Bynum in 08. Players get hurt. It just never seems to happen to LeBron. And one thing can happen. DeRozan could get hurt. Kyrie could get hurt. Something dramatic that we can't – opening night, we said, this is what we think is going to happen in the NBA this year, but you never really know what's going to happen. And if you listen to my call – that was exactly my call when Gordon got hurt because I, you've been hearing it all day. Something will happen that we can't predict, and everything will change. And it happened to the Celtics five minutes into the season. But 
There's always something that's going to happen. You know, maybe John Wall comes back, and all of a sudden Washington becomes that team everyone thought they could be the last couple of years. Remember, they played better against the best teams. And maybe Washington beats, you know, gets crazy hot and beats Toronto in the second round, and everything's up for grabs. But uh, I think that we can't – we're overreacting to the Cavs. Not that they're not going to be really dangerous, and they've got LeBron, and I'll believe that the Cavs lose in the playoffs in the East when it's taken from his cold, dead hand which it hasn't been in, since 2010. So I'll believe it when I see it. So I've always been on the Cavs that way. I, was, I didn't want to give up on it even when it was going so badly because LeBron is still LeBron. But I think we're overreacting to the Cavs only because it's been two weeks with nothing else to talk about. And if you pick a two-week span a few weeks ago, you'd say no way anyone's beaten Toronto. And if you picked a two-week span in December or November, you'd say no, one, no way anyone's beaten the Celtics. So it's only 23, 24 games left. That's still a lot of time. Are we going to see Gordon Hayward again this year? No, I don't think so. I've never thought so. And the only thing it's worth discussing and the only thing it has been is could a, could Gordon Hayward be more valuable in the playoffs than the 12th or 13th man on your roster? Because I've constantly gone back to Paul George. Paul George did come back. His injury happened three months earlier, and he came back and played in meaningless games with the Pacers out of the playoffs. 15 minutes a game, every other game, or whatever. It's just completely unfair to ask Gordon Hayward to come back and start basically trying things out again, starting from scratch in the middle of a second-round series against the Cavs. It's not a video game. You're not getting – when Gordon Hayward first steps back on the floor, he's not Gordon Hayward yet. So that's going to take some time. So I've never believed that – it's it's physically possible. I've just never been a fan of – I don't think you should expect it. I don't think you should have high expectations of it if it happens, and I'm not sure it's a great idea. So that's my answer to that wet blanket as it is. Brad Stevens said that there will definitely be changes to the rotation these upcoming games. We know Marcus Smart is coming back, but <laughs> yeah, that's what, the biggest one. What do you? What do you? Yeah. What? What do you expect? I mean, is 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 it as simple as okay? Well, Marcus may start some games and you have smaller lineups, or we're going to start Marcus Morris more frequently. I just, I just don't see looking at the composition of this roster how many different things you can really do differently. No, they have to play better. Uh, I think you got to figure out the big situation, figure out where Greg Monroe fits, when the reality is Greg Monroe, you want to get him work. <clears throat> you want to play him a lot. And he had a good game in Washington. Or whatever. And there's, he's had moments. But Greg Monroe right now, in the context of this team, is a left-handed hitting first baseman who plays the day game after a night. He's got to be a platoon <laughs> player. Where there are days that he's going to play 25 minutes and other ones that he's only going to play five or six, depending on the matchup. It's made it pretty crowded because, listen, you've got, I'm sure you know, statistically, you've got the Baines conundrum too, which is the more Baines plays, the better the Celtics play. Mm-hmm. And they've been better defensively. That doesn't always work. It's like, oh, play him 30 minutes a game. He'll drop, you know, he'll suck the oxygen out of the building if you try to play him 30 minutes a game. That doesn't work. <laughs> but there certainly is something to the fact he's been the number one defensive player in the NBA all year. Uh, I think that's an issue. Uh, you know, you look at when you're taking the changes and who's playing minutes. What what's the difference between twenty two and four and eighteen and fifteen, which is how you can divide the two Celtic seasons so far if you want, like from early December on. Well, Jason Tatum was the rookie of the year, wasn't he? For the first twenty five, mm-hmm. twenty six games and he has not been. You can talk about rookie wall, whatever it is, teams no one's talking about teams putting him on the scouting report now. Um and they can change it that way, so that's an you know that's an issue too. You well, people, people, not spot. to not to cut you off. People aren't talking as much about the finger injury that you can look at the shooting splits. People aren't talking about as much the the fact that 
He had a kid in the middle of the year. I mean, yeah, to, to, really. to, me, to, to me, the rookie wall thing is just such a lazy narrative. And, and we're hearing it from everyone. I, I, I don't know what your view is on that in terms specifically to Jason Tatum. Well, I, I, here's my Jason Tatum. The, the thing that I would say about Jason Tatum, the one word I'd use, 19. That's, that's what I would use when talking about the inconsistency of his play. He's 19 years old. And because he played like a 26-year-old for so long, we just assumed he would always do that. That he's just going to walk into the league and be 26. And when he's got to have a chance to be 19. So, you know, so, there's a lot of things that are going to get, that should go better. You know, Jalen's going to shoot better. Uh, I'll be, I'm really interested to see how they hit the ground here. Let's talk about that. I, I won't ask you to, you know, what's the cure for the final 23 games. There are so many different factors to that. But smaller scale, this road trip to Detroit, New York, what are the keys? I want to see, what you want to see is the, I'm trying to think of the word that Jimmy O'Brien used to use. The uh, the, the, the wasn't a, a discipline to play defense. A, a the willingness to defend every minute you're on the floor for the high level, which is why I mean. And again, I don't want to bring Isaiah back into this whole thing, but how did a team lose Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder and go from a middle of the pack defensive team to historically one of the best defensive teams in the last 10, 15 years? And a lot of it has to do with Isaiah and the way they were playing. But, you know, a lot of that is effort, and it's the ability to give that effort, you know. Uh, and I don't know how much of it's been there. I don't know how much of this is fatigue. I don't know how much, you know, maybe maybe they really are 18 and 15. I don't think so. But I think that's what we're, we're going to find out. Uh, Detroit, to me, is an interesting team. Like somebody, in theory, kept waiting for Detroit to come up and take that last spot that, oh, no way Philadelphia is going to hold on. Sixers are a good shaker. They've got one of the easiest schedules remaining. Uh, they've gotten through a lot of the tough back-to-backs without Embiid. So they're going to be tough. The Knicks, I think, are one of those teams. And the Celtics will see a lot of them, you know, coming up here in New York, Sacramento, uh, you know, teams that are don't have a ton of money, but, you know, Atlanta late in the year. Uh, there's another game in Orlando. We're going to have a lot of games coming up at the end against teams that don't really have motivation to win. So, um, and New York is certainly going to be one of those at this point. And the Celtics have always played well in New York. So, uh, I'm going to have, I think a lot of eyes are going to be focused on Marcus Smart and rightly so. That's a big part of the difference, not just the injury, but he's another one of those guys that was not playing as well in the second third of the year as he did in the first. And when you think back to those games, close your eyes unless you're driving, you think back to a lot of those early games and the win streak or whatever, Marcus was doing Marcus Smart things in the fourth quarter of all those games. You talk to a lot of people in the organization, and I won't ask you to divulge private conversations, certainly, but Marcus's year from the struggles leading into the injury and then obviously the self-inflicted injury of the severity that it was could have cost him the remainder of the season. He spoke about that. Has that impacted Boston's desire to bring him back next year and beyond. I don't know. I, I think that, you know Danny is, is as good as anybody in big picture thinking and not being affected by the micro. I mean, that's, this is going to be a stamp on his season, and there's no doubt about it. It's an issue uh, that it really hurt the Celtics. It was a you know a Marcus Smart related issue and a, you know literally a self inflicted wound. And but I think the thing is, as we're talking now, Marcus Smart season is going to be defined by what happens now. I don't think it'll be defined by, you know, what happened in uh, in L.A. He's he's about to write his own his own future. And I think the Celtics love Marcus Smart, and Marcus Smart loves Boston and all those things. The issue is going to be about when at the end of the day, it's going to be what it always is. It's going to be about roster, salary, uh, roster replication. You know, with the emergence of Terry Rozier, and what makes sense salary wise for you know the Celtics want Marcus Smart to be here. There's no question about that. 
Um, but, you know, can you do it with the salary restrictions being what they are? That's going to be what decides it, not what happened in a hotel room in February and maybe not even what happens on the floor in the next two months. Hey, that secret Twitter account, I don't know how many people you follow, but does it still end in a zero or a five? Uh, you know what? Uh, you're going to have to do a lot more research than that to uh, to find it. You're on your own. <laughs> I wasn't even going to look into that. I just wanted on to know your from, your, from your idiosyncrasies. Sean Grandy, he... You he, think you know them so well? We'll figure it out. Well, look, Sean may be following you on Twitter, for all you know. Thank uh-huh. <laughs> See, that now. that's the grind. Is is it under mm-hmm. Sean? It could, could be anything. Play-by-play voice of the team across the Celtics radio network. Sean, thanks a lot. You got it, man. Terrific stuff from Sean, as usual. Of course, you can, uh, well, I- I'm not going to go to, despite what he thinks, I'm not going to go to work trying to figure out what his secret Twitter account is. But if you guys want to and you want to spend that time and research it, by all means, tweet at me if you find it, because I'd love to know and find out if it does follow me. And I'm sure he thinks I'm just fishing for followers. That's not the case, although it definitely sounded that way. But speaking of followers, you guys are great. You can get me on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman, where I'm always happy to interact with you there. I know we're not able to take calls on this show, and so I do take your tweets, at least a couple anyway, for each of these shows, depending on how long we're running. Only have time for a couple right now. First one comes from Steve, at We Play for Titles. How will Marcus Smart perform in his first game back? Tell you what, I expect him to be out there and playing considerable minutes, meaning, Steve, at least 25 you know, I don't I don't think he's going to be worked in there. I don't think it's going to be a play 15 minutes and see what he's got type of situation. I also don't think he's going to go out and play necessarily his normal 30 to 32. I think it's going to be like 25, 26 minutes, depending on how the game flow is going. Obviously, if the Celtics can open up a big lead, maybe he's not needed as much. Or if it's a really tight game, maybe he plays a little bit more because we know how important he is late in games. But in terms of how he'll play... I expect the attitude. I expect an even bigger chip on his shoulder. I expect the great defensive energy and and mentality and bulldog approach. And he's going to take a handful of threes, as he does. And he's probably going to take his usual 8 to 12 shots. And he'll probably score 10 or 12 points. And that's just Marcus. That's a long-winded way of saying, I think Marcus is going to be Marcus. And I think that's how he's going to play in his first game back. I think the layoff will have helped everyone. He'll have practiced. And I think he's going to be fine. From S at uh, Tell, I guess. Is there a way to get smart, staying on smart, uh, to be more judicious in his shot selection without handicapping the rest of his game? It's a great question. I think a lot of people are wondering that. Thing is, it doesn't really matter what I think or what you think or what others in the media or fans think about, hey, Marcus takes way too many three-pointers and this sucks and why is he even taking 10 shots a game and, and taking shots potentially away from guys like Tatum and Brown because the way this offense operates, short of... You know, Kyrie Irving, who's going to take 18, 19, 20 shots a game. Brad Stevens wants Marcus Smart to shoot when he has the ball. He's talked about it. If Marcus is there and he has an open look, he wants him to take it. Now, I don't want him to take these crazy shots early in the shot clock or these threes from a few feet behind the line or these heat check threes that he will do. Uh, the late quarter heaves, whatever. I mean, that's they, they are what they are when the clock is running, and Terry Rozier is starting to get in the, the spirit of, of some of his buzzer beaters. But I just don't think there's a way to necessarily rein that in unless that is the message, and that is not the message. The message is you got an opportunity to shoot, you got a good-looking shot, shoot. We don't care that you shoot 30% from the field. So that's the general mentality, and we'll see how he looks. As, as Sean said, Marcus Smart's season will be defined by the final at this point in time, 23 games left in the regular season, and then, of course, into the playoffs where maybe, maybe he can make himself some money. Then it all gets really interesting. 
Well, episode 251 is brought to you again by eHarmony. Right now, my listeners can get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription. Just use my promo code CELTICSBEAT at checkout. Thanks again to Sean Grandy. Thanks as well to Nick, to Larry, to Evan, everyone else at CLNS Media. We welcome your feedback. Get me on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman. And please, I said it earlier, if you like the shows and you want more of them because we're thinking of expanding, leave ratings and reviews on iTunes. We appreciate it. They make a big difference, no matter how silly that may sound. Talk to you guys again in a few days after the Seas have played a few games. I'm Adam Kaufman. All right, Gino, plays out.